Welcome to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we bring in entrepreneurs who have created online businesses and improved their lifestyles. Here's your host, Rohit Malhotra. Hi everyone, this is Rohit from Life Self Mastery and today I'm excited to have Victoria Ransom, who's the founder and CEO of World's First Co-Learning Network that fully replaces regular school, Prisma, which is an education startup providing its own live learning platform for four to eighth graders. Uh, it's learner-centric, self-paced, outcome-driven, and hands-on. Yeah, Victoria is a homeschooling mother and lifelong entrepreneur. She was also the founder and CEO of Wildfire, a social marketing software company, which led to profitability in just one year and built to 400 employees. Wildfire was acquired by Google in 2012 for $450 million. Victoria joined Google, leading Wildfire, and later Google Express. Welcome to the show, Victoria. Hi, thanks for having me. Awesome. So you know you have an interesting journey. You 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 came from New Zealand to uh, uh, to to US. You've done your MBA from uh, Harvard, and you also been into uh, into startups. So how did your startup journey start? Yeah. So I was not one of these kids that always knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur, and you know I had my first business when I was ten. Uh, never even crossed my mind that that would be a career path until actually in my early 20s, my first job out of college was in investment banking. Uh, that was also somewhere I never expected to end up, but um, basically I graduated college having no idea what to do with my life and decided I'd do something that I felt like would keep some doors open. And I was in investment banking, that this is gonna age me now, but um, around the time of the dot-com boom. And so it was an unusual time where entrepreneurs were passing through the doors of investment banks because um, everybody was trying to get up in, in the startup investing game. Um, and so that was my first exposure to entrepreneurs. And I think, you know, one of the insights was like, wow, these are just regular people that had an idea and decided to go off and pursue it. Um, and so that coupled with the fact that investment banking, you know, I pretty is good at learning experience, but I pretty quickly realized this is not what I want to do for the rest of my life. And it's really important to me to do something that feels fulfilling and that I feel passionate about. Um, led myself and um, my now husband was not my husband at the time um, to leave investment banking and start our first entrepreneurial venture. It was in the online travel space, actually adventure travel. Um, I quit investment banking on September 1st, 2001. So it was a very interesting, you know, just before September 11th, before the world got thrown into disarray. So interesting times to start a travel company. Um, but, you know, it worked. It was a moderately successful venture. I think certainly not um, the level of success that we laid ahead with Wildfire. And I learned a lot from from the fact that it was a bit of a hard slog, but it was what got um, my foot in the door with entrepreneurship and it's been entrepreneurship ever since, except for a small stint at Google and a small stint in business school. I, my whole career has been entrepreneurship. I think once you've been your own boss, it's hard to go back from that, actually. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, I, I want to talk about wildfire, you know, how did, how did it start? And did you, did you start with your, with your partner? And, uh, you know, what was your whole experience uh, selling it to Google? Right? Yeah. So every single business that we've created, I say we because actually every single 
company I've created. It's been in partnership with my now husband. Um, uh, it's all come from some kind of personal need or personal observation. So in the case of the adventure travel company, it was a sort of a, a niche in adventure travel that interested us and was not being solved. Um, we subsequently started a travel software company that was based off of the fact that we needed some kind of software to manage our adventure travel business and it didn't exist in the market. And then wildfire came from uh, an observation that, uh, gosh, social media uh, ought to be a great channel for us to um, market our adventure travel company. Um, let's create a Facebook page for our adventure travel company. And we did that. And then we said, well, now what? This is super boring and there's no way to engage anybody. Uh, and we had had success running promotions of, you know, winning a free trip in order to um, grow our mailing list. And so we thought, well, we could give away a trip on our social media page, on, on our Facebook page. And that was the precursor to what became Wildfire, which was a, you know, a SaaS solution for social media marketing. Um, so, the, you know, the inspiration was a, the need for our travel business. It grew into something far bigger um, than we ever imagined when we first started it, frankly. Um, yeah, I mean, the whole experience with Wildfire is uh, a whirlwind. We grew incredibly fast. The company was aptly named because we grew like Wildfire. We, I think in four years, we went from zero, zero employees, uh, basically to 400. And, um, you know, we had uh, offices in eight different countries and it, it grew very, very fast. Um, being acquired by Google was, again, a whirlwind. Uh, it was, you know, an incredibly exciting experience. I think um, the negotiations were super intense, but uh, a really valuable learning experience. We were lucky that our team was super excited. So it wasn't one of these acquisitions where people are upset and disappointed. Our whole team was acquired by Google. And so the whole thing is quite frankly, one of the best experiences of my life um a long way after having children and really meaningful things like that but it was just a really pretty magical dream come true type um type of entrepreneurial ex experience yeah no absolutely i think uh, building a company and you know then then selling it for a significant amount is like a once in a lifetime experience and uh, you know you you worked in google uh, for a couple of years and you also did uh, your b school from um, hps how, how, how what was your experience all about and uh, was it right after wildfire um so uh have a business school was before wildfire basically uh in between having this adventure travel company which uh was a fantastic way to sort of cut our teeth on entrepreneurship but i think we made a number of mistakes which you know i'm happy to reflect on and so sort of got to a point of do we want to be do we see a lot of growth potential here? Do we want to be doing that for the rest of our lives or something else? And business school was largely a, uh, I think I'm at a turning point in my career and this feels like a good place to launch myself into something else. Um, you know, as a learning experience, business school was most beneficial from a network standpoint. There's definitely some people I met in business school um, and my husband too went to Stanford Business School that have been pivotal in in our success as entrepreneurs or our sort of success in life so the network was very valuable the credibility i got was quite valuable um you know certainly when we were 
raising money or that sort of thing. It was just a nice little stamp of approval. It was not essential. And the learning, I think, was valuable, but you definitely don't need to go to business school to learn to be an entrepreneur. That's sort of how I would do the hierarchy of the value of that. Um, And, you know, I came out the other end of HBS. I went in thinking maybe I wouldn't be an entrepreneur. And I came out thinking I definitely want to be an entrepreneur because when I looked at all the, the job opportunities that were in front of me, none of them excited me um google was post wildfire obviously or you know i was running wildfire inside of google um it it was you know i have nothing but good things to say about that experience i mean google treated our team incredibly well i think they were a very respectful um acquirer if anything it was a very sort of free and hands-off experience being acquired by Google. Like, you know, we thought there was going to be a lot more sort of direction and parameters than we experienced. Having said that, you know, there's certain parameters from a like uh, legal communication standpoint where suddenly like, you know, the constraints were put on us. But, um, you know, I learned a lot. I I learned that, whilst it was a good experience to be back inside of a larger company, that's not what I wanted to do with my life. So that was a really good learning. Um, I learned a lot at Google about thinking really, really, really big. I think Google is just incredible about, you know, they had this idea of moonshots and um, 10X. And uh, I think Google has done a phenomenal job of getting people to think really, really big about having really big impact uh, and I think Google did, for the size of company that it is, did a really good job of encouraging risk taking, encouraging innovation, um, encouraging people to just try things out and, and see where it takes them and the company. Um, so that, that's sort of what I think I most of all got out of Google. Um, you know, the, the, the layers that happen inside of a larger company and, um, the more we got into Google, the more we sort of experienced the, 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 you know, there's more bureaucracy inside of a larger company than a smaller company. Those were things that I think was nice to see it, experience it, and then get away from it. <laughs> got it. And, uh, you know, after your stand of Google, uh, you, uh, you're now building Prisma. You know, what made you build uh, Prisma and really want to solve the problem in education? Yeah. um, Well, there's actually quite a gap between um, Google and Prisma. And that's partly because honestly, after doing wildfire, which was incredibly intense, and then three years at Google, uh, my husband and I felt like we deserved a a little time off. So, you know, we left Google with the intention of giving ourselves a little bit of a break. But we also had a really strong intention, which is whatever we do with this next chapter of our careers, let's make sure it's something where we're having a large positive impact on the world i think wildfire was just an incredible incredibly fulfilling experience from the standpoint of it's amazing to grow something from just the kernel of an idea to uh you know a team of 400 people serving tens of thousands of customers and so that was stimulating but when it all boiled down to it, were we doing something super meaningful for, the, meaningful for the world? Not necessarily. And so for us, when we left Google, that the, the goal was let's do something really meaningful for the world. 
Um, but frankly, that once you set yourself that goal, it can be a little paralyzing because there's just endless problems that need solving in the world. And there's so many ways you could have an impact in the world. And so I think we spun our, our wheels for a little while just thinking, where should we focus? What, what problems should we solve? And then as I think often happens for entrepreneurs, our own need arose and that's the inspiration we got. And that need was that um, we have three children. The oldest is now seven, but at the time that our oldest was starting to approach school age, we really started to question how we wanted to educate her and our other children, which led us on this real deep exploration of education, like starting with what kind of innovative schools are in our area and expanding to what kind of innovative schools are there around the world and what innovative schooling models are there like micro schooling and um, eventually we looked into homeschooling and I think we started to sort of um, really develop a, a view of what we felt like a really amazing model of education would be for our kids and our family you know and, and it was quite a lot of inspiration from homeschooling I'd say the idea of kids being able to move at their own pace learn based on what interests them, be able to really tie their learning to sort of tangible hands-on real world learning. Um, the ability, uh, you know, homeschool kids are just super efficient in their learning. They don't sort of need to fill six hours a day because that's the length of a school day. They're able to get through their core learning, you know, usually in 90 minutes or two hours. And then there's a whole bunch of time for exploring the stuff that you're really interested in and um uh and so and, and you know the idea of families having flexibility kids having flexibility around their schedules some kids are great at starting early in the morning some kids are better at starting later later in the morning um increasingly i think families would love to have more geographic flexibility as work gets more flexible um you know school there's nothing less flexible than school i think from a schedule and sort of geography standpoint so we created this vision for our own kids and our own family but i think uh we quickly got inspired by the idea of could we create an approach to education that would enable many many kids and many many families to benefit from sort of this model of education that we were getting really excited about, which is, you know, a, a model of education that provides a ton of flexibility to really uh, tailor to the interests and needs and level and speed of the child, um, while also being flexible for the family, while also, and this is a was a really strong goal for us as a family, but is a very strong goal for Prisma, preparing kids who have the skills and mindsets to be able to succeed in whatever the future world is going to look like for this current sort of generation of kids because um you know one thing's for sure i think the world is going to look very very different and the job landscape is uh for a variety of reasons particularly uh, as a result of ai i think there is just we, we really don't even know what jobs are going to exist so how do you prepare kids for a world like that and that was a really strong driving force for us personally and has become a driving force for prisma so yeah to cut a long story short prisma arose from our own need and we felt like that was a need that many families could have mailman is a email assistant that shields you from unimportant emails minimizing instructions and making your days calmer 
and more productive. You can visit mailmanhq.com and use the code LSM, uh, which gives you the benefit of 15% off for the first year on the annual plan, uh, which already has 20% discounted compared to the monthly plan. So you can visit mailmanhq.com and use the code LSM. You know, I love the fact that you've been, uh, uh, you know, building businesses out of your own personal needs. Uh, I think then you are more invested into into solving uh, difficult problems. And, yes. uh, you know, yes. when it comes to Prisma, you know, who would be your uh, ideal audience? Uh, are you focusing on kindergarten kids or is it uh, kids? No, uh, no. Okay. no, in fact, our, um, our daughter is not even old enough yet for Prisma. Uh, and that is because it is a... Um, sort of a, it's a virtual model and we do think um, there's a sort of limit on how young you can go and have a virtual model or a largely virtual model be, you know, you know, uh, an ideal model for kids. So Prisma focuses on fourth through eighth grade right now and it is a comprehensive um, educational solution for kids that are learning from home or from anywhere in the world um and we uh you know we like to think that it's it's actually a really it's a new approach to education it is um not like sort of typical online schooling which i would say tends to take the traditional model of education and bring it online so you know sort of the first crop of online schools i think they still had lectures they still had grades they still had sort of textbooks. They may have been electronic, but they were textbooks. Um, so we're not a sort of um, typical online school because we're very much based on project-based learning and kids learning at their own uh, pace and interdisciplinary learning um, and applying learning to the real world. We are very different from traditional homeschooling because kids are learning as part of a cohort of other kids who they are meeting with regularly uh, you know, every day, multiple times a day, they're doing projects together, they're discussing, they're um, socializing, they are um, involved in clubs together. So it's a very social experience. Um, and we provide a coach that works very closely with each, you know, they, each mentor coach works with a small number of kids and really gets to know what makes that kid tick, what they're capable of, what they're interested in, provides them with rich iterative feedback. So it's not like traditional homeschooling, but it has aspects of that. Um, and obviously, we're a very different model from bricks and mortar because it is a home-based educational model. So, um, yeah, we've created an approach to education that we think pulls from a lot of the best practices of, of innovative schools, but does it in a way where kids anywhere in the world can access our model. Coming back to your original question, so who's it for? Um, we are finding that we're attracting a whole range of families. I mean, I guess the, the broad theme across those families is that for one reason or another, sort of the traditional approach to education was not allowing their kids to, um, to shine or meet their full potential uh, in a way that, that the parents believe they could. So in some cases, we've got kids that are really ahead you know they're they're gifted either sort of across the board or in certain areas and they were being slowed down by school and they were therefore getting bored and not applying themselves we have kids that are i guess at the other end of the spectrum where they've 
they've got gaps in their learning and they were falling behind and therefore they were um, starting to feel like super disillusioned with school and I'm not good at this. And the reason we can cater to that full range is we really have this idea of meeting kids where they're at. Like, I don't care if you're a fifth grade level, like where are you at in your math? If you're at a seventh grade level in your math, let's start you there and let you zoom forward. But equally, if you're actually at a fourth grade level in your writing, then that's where we will work with you on your writing. Um, so we're seeing sort of families across that spectrum. We are seeing just families for whom school, um, for a variety of reasons, their kids were just not excited or happy. Maybe socially, it was a really stressful or challenging experience for kids. We have some kids at Prisma that have uh, physical disabilities where going to school in person physically was just a whole level of complexity and stress that they don't now need to deal with. Um, and we have quite a few families, I'd say, who are just really attracted. Through COVID, they discovered the benefit of a flexible life, flexible work, spending more time together as a family, um, maybe being able to live in multiple places. And so Prisma is just a perfect model for those families to be able to continue to lead that kind of life without compromising on the joy and quality of their kids' education. So, uh, you know, a whole range. Oh, and then we've got families that have homeschooled for a long time and are now looking for more community and a little more support from a qualified teacher and, and, and that sort of thing. So it, it's recovering quite a wide range of families. Got it, got it. And, uh, 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 you know, I wanted to understand uh, what what does a typical day look for for a child? Uh, you know, how, how do you provide, make sure that, you know, you provide socialization and physical education, that they spend time on physical education and academics. Uh, is there any structure that you provide to each student? Yeah, uh, th there's some amount of structure, although um, with lots of flexibility. Um, and so what I mean by that is, you know, Prisma kids uh, start their day with a stand up. So every Prisma kid, and there's different options depending on what suits you best. You want to do it at 10 a.m. or 9.30 a.m. Um, and, uh, and stand up is sort of, it's the same group of kids. It's the same coach and they're meeting every day, except Fridays. Fridays are actually much more open and flexible at Prisma because we can get the kids so efficiently through their work that, you know, families can have uh, extra freedom on, on Fridays. Um, but aside from that, everyday kids are starting with a stand up, which is all about sort of building community. Let's get your day going. Um, sometimes they're playing really fun um, games. Sometimes it's sort of social emotional development and sharing. Sometimes it's talking about what's happening in the world. Sometimes it's presenting to one another about where they're from. Because one of the really beautiful things about Prisma is we have kids from all over the US and increasingly all over the world. And it's amazing the kind of learning that happens when you get kids together from different places. Um, so stand up is something that provides sort of an anchor and structure in kids day. And then uh, uh, kids have at least one main workshop each day. Some days there's, there's more than one workshop, uh, although they're never spending more than, I guess, two hours or maximum two and a half hours on sort of synchronous time because I think there's a limit that the schools that sort of took their educational model threw it online and kids are sitting on zoom for six hours a day 
that is not a great approach in our opinion for distance learning um, and so uh, there's different workshop times but that provides sort of an anchor in kids day depending on when they're doing their workshop and then within that we sort of custom build a schedule for kids based on whatever their needs and, and goals are so each coach will sit down with their mentor learner and the parent, if the parent wants to be involved in that discussion, and basically come up with a, a daily and weekly schedule, which they will adjust over time if it's not working. Some kids may spend an hour or 90 minutes before their stand up getting some of their Prisma work done. So they're done even earlier in the day. Other kids might say, nope, my stand up is my first part of the day, and you know, their schedule is built out a little, you know, they'll go later into the afternoon afternoon um, and basically we build in sort of here's uh, when I'm going to work on my projects because all Prisma kids are working on projects. Uh, we haven't talked much about the curriculum yet but there's a strong project-based learning component. We also have what we call missions, uh, math missions, writing missions, reading missions. They're very much sort of based on giving kids choice and moving at their own pace but it's sort of to make sure that kids are getting those foundational reading, writing and math skills. Um, and so they might say on Mondays at this time, I'm going to work on math missions on Tuesdays, I'm going to work on writing missions. Every kid's schedule will be custom made and look different and it can be adjusted um, at any time. Um, and then, you know, they're, they're fitting in other things like we have really robust clubs that are really engaged, engaging. Um, but yeah, so there is a it's sort of each kid has their daily and weekly schedule, but it's actually custom built for them to to meet their needs. Yeah, no, I think I think that is that is super interesting. And uh, another interesting thing uh, about Prisma is that you have coaches. And uh, yeah, I just hired a coach uh, way too late in my career, but I, I love the fact that you have coaches. That, and how how do you how do you find those coaches? And how do you wait on uh, on the on those coaches uh, for for Prisma? Yeah. You know, it's one of the um, things that we've been very pleasantly surprised that we are having absolutely no trouble attracting large numbers of candidates for our coaching roles. I think one thing we've learned is there are there's no shortage of amazingly passionate, talented teachers uh, and, a, you know, a good number of them are rather frustrated with the system they're working in. They went in with just amazing intentions and then felt like they couldn't deliver upon, you know, the passion that they have for teaching. So, um, you know, through word of mouth and through postings on job boards, we're getting uh, tons and tons and tons of applicants. Um, all of our coaches do have pretty robust teaching experience. Um, some of them have come straight out of that teaching experience. Others took a left turn in their careers and are now coming back to teaching through Prisma. But basically, we are looking for people with a deep passion for education, just an incredible ability to build rapport with kids. We're looking for people who are really, really great at giving robust feedback um, because our whole model, we don't give grades. Our model is built on the concept of um, iterative feedback. So rather than having a kid complete an assignment, hand it in, get a grade, maybe they get a little feedback and then move on and never have a chance to go back and do better and, and improve and learn from um, their mistakes. Our, our idea is that coaches are giving kids feedback all the way along while they're 
they're doing a piece of writing or working on a project. So they can go back and revise and adjust and improve and then keep moving forward with the project. By the time they're done, theoretically, it is their best work. And so we found that's a real skill set we need in our coaches, their ability to understand what a kid is capable of and really encourage that kid through feedback, verbal and written, to meet that you know, that high, that that level that they believe a kid is capable of. Um, and then the other thing is we want coaches to be just really engaging facilitators. And I, I, I say facilitator, not lecturer or presenter, because all of our workshops at Prisma are built around the idea of if we're going to bring a bunch of kids together live, we don't want them to sit there and listen to an adult. Like, we want them to listen to each other, to discuss with each other, to collaborate with each other, to solve problems with each other. Uh, but the coaches need to be really good at asking the right questions at the right, right moment, drawing kids out when they need to, setting the stage for the learning that the kids are doing. Um, and, you know, we put the kit, we put our coaches through a pretty robust process. They have to come in and lead a real workshop with real Prisma learners. They have to provide feedback uh, in the learning journals of real Prisma kids. They basically go through a mini process of being a Prisma coach before we select them. Today, I have an interesting stat for you to denote that the founder of Beautiful Lives increased the social media presence by 10x. They managed to publish consistently and effortlessly using a robust social media management tool called Social Pilot. Social Pilot is a cost-effective social media tool that helps businesses scale their social media marketing efforts. Use lifestylemastery.com slash socialpilot to get a 14-day free trial. Very interesting. And, uh, uh, you know, I've been, I've been part of uh, uh, OnDeck, which is a cohort-based uh, you know, education, uh, and there's been a lot of uh, companies like Maven and Y Combinator trying to help out uh, founders and, you know, uh, people who want to accelerate their careers. Do you think there's going to be an unbundling of like, education going forward, uh, considering that, you know, uh, education, higher education is becoming uh, expensive and, uh, and, you know, and the new trends like homeschooling and all. Do you think there'll be unbundling of education going forward? Um, I do. And I think we are already seeing that where a large percentage of the families that are involved with Prisma were families that prior to COVID had never considered doing anything other than send their kid to the local public school or perhaps the local private school. So already I think COVID gave parents a level of insight into their kids' education. Um, and just a chance to pause and reflect and granted like distance learning didn't work for some kids and some families clearly and the, the media was all over that but within all that noise about distance learning as a disaster there was a whole bunch of families and we've heard from many of them or some of them for whom that really gave them an insight like their kids thrived in a way they hadn't seen before either they could go faster than they could before they were not as stressed as they were before so um i think we were heading heading towards unbundling anyway and COVID maybe uh may have accelerated that at the higher education level i i hope so because i think the university and college system has a real grip on everything that happens in K-12 and a lot of what you see happening in the, the K-12 um, educational system is ultimately because parents are so 
afraid of their kids not getting into college and therefore they feel like they have to jump through these hoops um, in a way that's not always great for the kids and not great for their confidence and not great for their creativity. And, um, and so I hope that we will see that. And I think there's early stages of that. There's now alternative ways kids can get educated and get great careers. Um, in the sort of K-12 level, I mean, I think it, there already is um, bundling that's happening. Like how many parents are actually only relying on the school that they send their kids to down the road to educate their kids like most parents are supplementing in some way through extracurriculars through tutoring through online courses i mean most parents have already realized that for their kid to really succeed they need to provide more and i think as technology gets better and better and different companies get better and better at just providing really fantastic ways for certain kinds of kids to learn math, um, then it's going to be hard for a more general school system to compete with that. What I would say, though, is I think it's a lot to expect parents to be the ones who go out and make all of those choices. Like, this is the best, you know, technology for my kid to learn math, and this is the best technology for my kid to, to develop their writing. And so I think that an unbundling is happening, but then there's going to need to be sort of a rebundling because your average parent won't be able to navigate making all of those choices. I mean, homeschool parents do that, but it's a pretty high, it's a high burden, I think. And so the idea that you can pick and choose the best in any given, the best learning technologies, the best curriculums, depending on who the kid is and and what motivates them I think is really great, but I would argue that Prisma is doing that. We're looking for the best resources, the best technologies, wherever they are, but we're bundling it together in a way where parents, the burden is not on parents to make all of those decisions and sort of manage all of that process. That was a long answer, but I think the short answer is, yes, I think that's always been happening and it's gonna happen more. Yeah, no, I absolutely think it's going to happen more going forward. And, uh, and you know, uh, there are times when, you know, things are not working, uh, especially when you're working in an in a, uh, entrepreneurial setup. Uh, how do you look at balance between mission and, and vision, uh, but also being realistic when, you know, things are not working in your favor? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the hardest things in entrepreneurship because, to even become an entrepreneur in the in the first place, you've got to have a, a somewhat irrational optimism, and you know, like a really, you you've got to believe in what you're doing. You've got to have a big vision, um, but you've also somehow got to be realistic. Um, and you know, I think the first thing for people to really be realistic about is to get to that product market fit. So, you know, if you've got this great idea and then you get out there and nobody's really interested and it's not resonating with people, well, you better like pivot or iterate a few times. And if you still can't find that product market fit, well, then uh, probably you should face the music. Um, and even just starting, I think, an in, in analysis of the, the market you're in and really being very realistic about that before you even dive in, I just think, is so important of you know some of the things that i've learned along the way of like market size 
makes such a big difference in terms of your ability to succeed. I think my first company in the adventure travel space was niche. And so no matter how well we executed on our vision, we were never going to be able to grow a big business because the market just couldn't support it versus a wildfire. We faced a ton of competition, of course, because it was a big market opportunity. But if we executed well, then, you know, it was like the ability to like surf a large wave. If you can stay on and, you know, beat those other surfers, you'll have a hell of a ride versus if you if you catch a little wave, um, doesn't mean how great you surf, it's going to be a, a little ride. Um, and so I think that really asking yourself timing, like why now? Why is your idea? Why, why is it a good idea now? Um, what has happened in the world? What has changed? What, te- what new technology is here? What new behavior is there in society or need that means your idea is a good idea now and if you can't answer that question you really might want to ask yourself why has nobody done this before then and is this really a good idea um and and so and you know the sort of like why you like you you are never going to be the only person in the world who thought of an idea if you are it probably probably wasn't a good idea so why are you going to be the one to succeed i think you know with an optimism and a we can do this, you've got to have that attitude, but you've also got to start with a very realistic sort of assessment of your market and your idea. Um, in in my particular case, looking back at wildfire, I'd say that balance of realism and vision. In our case, I would just say that um, our vision grew over time. So it was not the case that we started with like this huge, huge, we're going to take over the world of social media marketing vision, because I actually think that would have been rather overwhelming. We had a certain vision and a certain goal, and then we started to get there. So it's like, okay, we can create something even bigger. And then we started to get there close to achieving that. So we made it even bigger. So also the ability to sort of, um, you know, go in steps as you're trying to um, create your vision and realize it, uh, at least in the case of wildfire, I think that really helped to make what we had to achieve feel um, achievable. Um, I'm lucky that I haven't had such a strong experience of like, this is failing, we have to shut it down. But I would say the travel business, whilst it wasn't like a, this has failed, we have to shut it down sort of experience, there was a real hard look at like, is this ever really going to thrive in a big way? And if not, uh, what are we going to do about that? And that was, you know, where the decision to go to business school came in. Um, and so that was, you know, after enough years of trying, there was a real realization like this can get to a certain size. Is that going to be big enough to make us excited? If not, then let's do something about that. So, yeah. Very interesting. <laughs> Got it. And, uh, you know, I quickly want to do the top three. What's your favorite business book? Oh, um, uh, this is probably not original, but I think it is the book that's influenced me the most is Good to Great. Um, I think that's just, there's so many great lessons in there. It feels like the kind of book you could read over and over again. So um, that would be the one that has influenced my thinking the most, I'd say. Yeah, no, absolutely. I will put that in the show notes. And um, uh, do you have any favorite online tools, for example, Gmail, Slack, Zoom? Um, 
Uh, none of those. <laughs> I mean, they're all incredibly functional. Um, were they, honestly, my favorite tool, and this comes, this is me as a mother speaking, who is, you know, loving to document my kids' lives and also has grandparents living overseas that are missing out on so much, Google Photos, and my ability to capture the lives of my kids and get high quality photos and these wonderful compilations that are automatically created i that enriches my life um not you know not a very original product but it's one i love to use and i use a lot Got it. we'll put that in show notes and you know if you could go back in time when you started building prisma what is the one thing you would have focused on or done anything differently you know um i, I actually i might flip that question only because I feel like we're new enough at Prisma, we're only 18 months in, that I almost feel like I don't have enough perspective yet to, like there's nothing really major that I'd say, gosh, uh, we should have done that differently. Like at this point, at least, I'm happy with the steps we've taken. Uh, doesn't mean we've done everything perfect, but I'm happy with the steps we've taken. I actually think I've had a much more time, so if it's okay with you, I'll answer that question for wildfire okay. because I've had much more time to reflect. Um, and one of the mistakes we made with wildfire was we did not focus enough on brand uh, and perception. So I think because we were a social media marketing company, we were very focused on sort of um, measurable approaches to marketing and um, sort of scalable approaches to marketing. We're very much focused on dollar in, dollar out sort of things. And we had a competitor actually that put a lot of money, they raised a lot more money than us, so they had more capacity to do this, but they put a bunch of money into just brand advertising, like billboards and airports and double page spreads and magazines, which at the time we thought was such a waste. But um, what we learned over time is that paid off for them in terms of the perception of them being the market leader or, or the category leader um, in a way that actually, you know, wasn't true as it turned out in terms of revenues, in terms of company size. We were right neck and neck. But uh, from a perception standpoint, I think they've done a good job of that people in their minds thought, oh, that was a much bigger company. And when it came time to competing for bigger customers, when it came time for um, discussions with acquirers, we realized that, that that matters, that perception matters. I think fortunately, once we got in discussions with acquirers, we were able to show like, no, look, look how well we're doing. Like we, you know, we uh, look at our financials, look at our team. But, um, but I think looking back, that was a lesson to us. Like you do need to, um, to make sure that you're putting in the legwork whether it's to potential acquirers, whether it's to investors, whether it's to customers of showing um, showing your progress and showing that you're doing well in the market and, and getting the word out about that. So that, that was upon reflection. That was one of the things that we learned through our sort of whole wildfire journey. Yeah, no, that, that, I think that's a, that's a very interesting insight. And was the competitor Hootsuite or is it, is it still there? No, the company I'm referring to is uh, Buddy Media, who oh, you know, did a, a really good job. They raised a lot more money than us. So to some extent, they did a wonderful job of building the category for us. And we didn't have to 
invest uh, in that and raise money to do that. Um, but yeah, it, it, it gave them a perception edge. The perception was that they were a much bigger company than we were or than they were. Yeah, very, very interesting. And uh, uh, Victoria, what is the best way people can reach out to you and know more about Prisma? Yeah, um, best, best place to go is our website. We have tons of information there. That's join prisma.com um you can email email us from there and if you address it to me it'll reach me if you're trying to reach me um we also if you're really interested in prisma you can sign up for live uh small group info sessions where you can learn uh, a lot more about prisma right uh, thank you victoria for, for your time i really enjoyed my conversation with you yeah likewise thanks for the time thanks for listening to the life self mastery podcast where we teach you how to start and grow your online business. For more information, visit Rohit's blog at www.lifeselfmastery.com.